spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, we're going to welcome you to our Touched Talk. It's episode 364 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I say that because we have another member of the Touched on the show this week, Ella Smith, who plays Desiree Blodgett, who we met in episode two this past week on The Nevers on HBO and HBO Max. And yeah, you know that she gets people to talk a lot about what's going on in their minds. So we'll go ahead and talk to her about what's in hers and about what's going on with Desiree and what's going on with the show heading into this big third episode. I do want to let you know, though, not going to review Mortal Kombat this week. Going to do it next week so we could do it full of spoilers. But we're going to go spoiler-free with our review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, also Shadow and Bones, first season from Netflix. There's some great nerd news to talk about this week. This week's show also brought to you in part by Realm. They have another amazing new original series called Memory Lane I want to tell you all about. But let's go back to the world of the Nevers. Up next, my interview with Ella Smith. Let's talk Desiree. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Esparza from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Of course, we've been talking a lot about the Nevers, and for a good reason. Every Sunday, we're watching just like you are on HBO and HBO Max, and one of the most interesting characters to debut in the second episode had to be Desiree Blodgett. So how could I not get the wonderful Ella Smith on here to talk about that? Ella, how you doing? Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very well, thank you. Ella, when you, when I first met Desiree, I felt like her personality just jumped right out at me. So how much fun was it to play this character? The most fun I've ever had playing any character ever and probably ever will stop and really enjoy yourself when you're in a job like this because Desiree is so full of wit and humor and she's naughty and she misbehaves and she's not quite as worried as the rest of the orphans are. She's just sort of semi-retired at a great innings and trying just to look after her dear son, little Nigel, who's six years old. I love how you said semi-retired. That that cracks me up. I love that. <laughs> I guess well, you, you know, kind of I mean, high class prostitutes in those days. You know, once you were past it, you you were really past it. You know, you had to be very good early on, and if you didn't die of syphilis or some some such, then you did very well, and you could retire. You couldn't retire. Yeah, and, and she did do very well. If she lived to tell the tale, that's all that really matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm proud of her. So, Ella, people might think I'm, I'm exaggerating when I say this, but I think that Desiree's ability might be the most dangerous, not to her, but to everybody else, among all of the touch that we've met so far. So how do you feel about what she's able to do? I feel like it has such potential as the story unwinds, as secrets are unraveling. You know, there are some moments where you just think, well, Desiree could just turn up and solve this episode in two minutes and then we wouldn't have any episode left. Right, exactly. Um, I, I felt that way once or twice, yeah. Yeah, but as with anyone's powers, the touch, they have a positive and a negative to them. And Desiree hearing everyone's secrets all the time has a, has an emotional impact on her because it's exhausting. Think of it as like the, the confessional Catholic priest's role. And, um, and, but also in terms of when, you know, when people really are keeping dangerous secrets, she's the one weapon you want around. As soon as you get people's blood blood up and get them excited or feeling a little bit frenzied, they tend to they tend to divulge. Even if they, you know, really buried stuff deep down, Desiree's power is pretty cute to sort of 
rock up with. So yeah, I've, I've loved that. And even in episode two, Amalia sees the potential in her and, and puts it to the test immediately. And you find out a lot about Frank Mundy immediately, you know, so that power is sort of devastating to people who like their own secrets. I actually wanted to talk about that because I thought that that was such a great scene. I mean, it was intense. It was funny too at the same time. What was it like shooting that scene with Laura and with Ben? It was wonderful watching them both go at it because of course Desiree has taken a back step. Just her presence is helping. But uh, Amalia and Laura as the character, she just gets it immediately and she slaps him across the face. And, you know, it's pretty shocking for her to just walk into the police office and slap a policeman across the face. It, it was really amazing to watch them and then to watch Ben's performance as he sort of unraveled the deep sadness under him where he's trying to keep a brave face where he works. It was really mesmeric. And I think that was one of my first or second days ever on set, actually. And I, I couldn't believe, you know, this huge world I was entering and I was just so ready to get going. It's like, welcome to the show, Ella, right? My goodness. Very much so, very much so. I mean, I've done some big things before, but this felt even bigger. <laughs> no doubt about it. So let's talk about her abilities again for me, because I mean, how much of an asset do you feel like that's going to make her going forward? Or do you also feel like this could also be seen as a liability as well, though, for them? Well, as she turns up at the orphanage, she's on the run. She has got a bounty on her head people want her dead she knows too many things from too many people who've divulged their secrets and she they people just don't want someone like Desiree around which is a shame because she's a good laugh but <laughs> underneath that she's really quite dangerous as we spoke about before and so there's this looming sense that Desiree's days might be numbered if she gets around the, the wrong people and if they figure out her her turn. So she actually keeps it on the down low. She's not someone who sort of out and out throws a fireball for everyone to see. You know, her power is something that she knows could be used against other the wrong people. And she's a bit older and she's got a kind of slightly more matronly role in the orphanage. Just staying out of trouble is her main is her main aim at this point. I actually want to talk about that dynamic in the orphanage here for a minute. First, we're talking to Ella Smith, who, of course, plays Desiree on The Nevers, which you can watch every Sunday night at 9 o'clock on HBO and on HBO Max. Because the orphanage, to me, there's so many different dynamics in there with so many different ladies. So how, which of the ladies do you actually feel like Desiree is going to get along with the most? Oh, that's tricky. Well, she's fun. So she likes witty banter, but she also really takes on a slightly motherly role because Amalia, as much as she is the kind of head figure, there's nothing motherly about her. <laughs> Not initially, at least. No. And so I think Desiree fits in with some of the young girls who, who sort of a bit of guidance and actually just a bit of love and care. She's probably learned that kind of affection towards younger girls from from growing up in brothels you know because the madams would have really taken care of their young girls of course they were forcing them into prostitution but at the same time they were really taking care of these girls um their welfare and uh, looking out for them and I think Desiree's got that camaraderie to her you know if she walked into the ferryman's club and saw all those sex workers she'd probably try and unionize them or something you know oh, definitely <laughs> yeah, she'd rally them together and and make them realize their worth etc um so so that's how i see her in the orphanage but also she has a really 
vital desire to keep her son, Nigel, who's only six and he doesn't speak as safe as possible. You know, he, he, she's all he has. And, you know, he, he doesn't speak at all. And there's something very interesting in that everyone speaks and speaks and speaks to Desiree and yet her own son is mute. And there's a lot to be developed in that arena too. Interesting, interesting. Do you think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of her character though? Because she's so fun. She's so vibrant. She's got such a big personality, but then you realize, wait a minute, she didn't come alone. She's a mom. So talk about her parenting skills a little bit. Do you feel like that kind of gets lost in all of this a little bit too? It certainly does. You know, you, you, you're you aware that she's sort of a parent and she's doing her best, but there's, there's a little clue with her parenting style when she's talking about really great graphic things in front of her son. And then she stops mm-hmm. herself and she looks to him and, and as you as you saw in episode two, she reminds him to take off his hat as if that's the problem, you know? Right, and, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I've certainly spoken to Philippa, who's writing the next six episodes and show running and she talked to her about how that's a really lovely area to develop for Desiree and Nigel in that she's one of those mothers who sort of pushes her kid out the nest way before they're ready with love in mind. But there's something really lovely there. And actually, the young actor who plays Nigel is incredibly sweet, incredibly intelligent, knows a lot more about English history than I do. And I so I just want to give a quick shout out to him because he's a glorious little actor. So, Ella, one of the things I love about shows like this is the fan theories that we get on social media. So to me, when Amalia was suspicious of Desiree right away, especially given the circumstances of what had just happened. Do you think that's going to translate over into people wondering if, you know, she's really on the up and up? Or do you think she's proven herself at this point? This is the sort of show where you can trust someone for six seasons and then realize something about them that you just never saw coming. Certainly in some future episodes, I couldn't believe the twists and turns that the audience is about to (laughs) experience. So for Desiree, she's one of those front and center, loving, kind, fun characters. And yet who hasn't got secrets? So I would just say, as the show is called, Never Say Never. No doubt about that. So Ella, before I let you go, this upcoming third episode is a really, really big one. Obviously we can't say why, but there's a lot that happens in this third episode. So let's do this. What was your reaction when you read the script for episode three? And did you guys read, were you able to read that script together at all? Was it like a table read or was it one of those things where you kind of discovered it individually? No, we did read, um, but we had the scripts a little bit before so we could prep. But the table read obviously is a huge room with everyone head of HBO there and everyone's listening out to this story unfold. I just, without saying too much about episode three, it just shows that every time the touched take a step forward, they end up three steps back because of various forces around them. And, but at the same time, it strengthens their resolve and their core strength and their love for each other and their mission. So as shocking as episode three becomes, something happens on the flip side of that shocking act. That is exactly what the the show's about and very moving. It was the first time actually I watched the show and was completely moved and and that's what this show can do i think it can make you laugh and terrify you and you know throw people about a room and then the next minute you're sort of crying and that's what it did to me in episode three if you guys thought you were hooked before i'm telling you do not miss this third episode of the nevers and if you haven't caught up yet make sure you're doing that on hbo and hbo max watch every sunday night at nine o'clock eastern time and let me tell you this too you're just scratching the surface of what Desiree has got going on for sure. So I'm so glad we got to talk to Ella Smith. Ella, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks. I've had a blast. Thank you.
So when you walk into a room, make sure you've got your eye out for Desiree because she might make you say some things that you don't necessarily want to say. And I'm telling you right now, you have got to see this third episode of The Nevers. It is a big one. I cannot stress that enough. And it's just going to be so much fun to see what Desiree has going on for the rest of the season as well. Thanks again to Ella Smith for joining me this week to talk about The Nevers from HBO and HBO Max every Sunday night at 9 o'clock. Up next, how about we talk about another big show dropping that actually dropped today, the season one finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We'll go spoiler-free with our review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Wynn Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Even though it almost feels like it just began, the end is finally here. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier season finale. We don't know if it's the series finale yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Now, since the episode just dropped, going to do this spoiler-free. Now, this can be a little frustrating because that means there's a lot that I'm not going to be able to tell you. But you know that it's the Flag Smashers that have taken over the GRC meeting, they've, they're trying to stop the vote. We know where that is from the last episode. And we know that Sam, Bucky, and maybe some other surprises are going to help try to combat the Flag Smashers. And that is, and we've got Bartok, who finally gets his new due in this episode. By the way, I feel like that 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 is a wrong that was finally righted in this series because Bartok the Leaper was a was a very had a very memorable scene in one movie, and then now they bring him back for the series, and I feel like finally gave him his due with a couple of very cool fight scenes. So I thought that that was something really interesting that they did do in this series. But what this was was it was more than just a battle. At least it was more than just a physical battle. Let me just put it that way. There was a lot of redemption in this episode. There was a lot of big moments in this episode going forward in general, in, in, the, in the MCU in general, I think, anyway. There was a fantastic speech by Anthony Mackie in this episode. And, and I got to say, I, that, it, it kind of gave me chills a little bit. And what this series did as a whole really told the story of... Sam, it really, really did. And it really just showed the progression of Sam Wilson from being the Falcon to becoming Captain America. And that is not a spoiler because you saw you saw the suit in the case in the last episode. Right. Maybe we didn't see the whole thing revealed, but you saw it. You get to see the suit in this episode and I'll let you judge how it looks. But you what this what this series did was really told that story in a way that I feel like the comics didn't get quite as right. I feel like the series actually got it right a little bit more because it was a very, very deep and personal story, not just about himself, but about society in general. And I thought that the way that it was addressed in the series and especially in this finale was done very, very well from a storytelling standpoint. And it shows how Sam Wilson is going to be his own Captain America and a bit of a different Captain America. That doesn't make him better. That doesn't make anybody else better than him. He's going to be his own man. And I think that that's one of the things that he's wanted from the beginning, right? And whether or not that's actually going to happen, you know, remains to be seen. How will he be perceived? That is still a question that I feel like is going to be up in the air, but that is something that is dealt with in this finale. There was, like I said, a surprise 
entrant into this battle, as it were. And and I got to say, without really telling you who it was, that what they did with this character in a moment that they gave this character, and trust me, when you watch the episode, you know what I'm talking about. There was a time, there was a crossroads for this particular character where it could have gone one way or the other. It's like you need to choose who you want to be. And this person did that. And I thought it was really, really an interesting choice. And then we get to see the aftermath of that choice as well. And again, the birth possibly of a new character. Maybe possibly a name that we've been talking about for a while from the comics that will now finally be a part of this universe. We also get to see Bucky's story come full circle as well. And it's one of those things where you've been waiting for this to happen for him. And I won't tell you how it unfolds. You probably kind of get this is one of those predictable ones, I think. You kind of saw where this was going if you're really paying attention to the show. And and the moment that he gets is a really, really cool one. Everybody gets their due in this episode, which I think is really, really neat. No character that you really were paying attention to in this series gets left out. And I really, really like that. You, even when it comes to the Flag Smashers and Carly and everything, you, and nobody gets left out in having their moment in this episode. There's also something really cool that happens with Isaiah Bradley in this story. And it's funny because I, I, I saw all these reports where, where the producers and directors are saying, you're going to cry when you watch this episode. And I'm like, I'm not going to cry. This, this isn't going to happen. But there's a moment in this episode I, I definitely teared up. The, 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 the tears did not flow, but they were definitely there welling up for sure. There, there are some emotional moments in this episode. And, and you do get to find out who the power broker is too, by the way. I can't tell you who it is. I was surprised. This is one of those things where, okay, I, I kind of pride myself in being able to know what's going on and, and know who's who and, and know who's behind everything. I didn't call this one. I did not call this one. If you did, bravo for you. When you find out who the power broker is, I think you're going to be surprised. And I think it's it's a very, very interesting plot point going forward. And it opens the door. The door's open for a season two if they want one. I'll just put it that way. If they want a season two of what the show is going to be called if they have a season two, and I won't reveal that either, but if they wanted a season two involving these characters, the stage is set for that. Or if they wanted to do a spinoff series, actually, the stage is set for that, I think, as well. So I got to tell you, the way that this story was structured from start to finish, this definitely felt like a Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios type of project, whereas WandaVision, again, was just so different. This one felt like that big, long-form movie that Marvel Studios has been known for. And I got to say, I thought it was very, very well done. I thought they tackled not just the issues for the individual characters that they were dealing with, that I think that we as fans were looking for closure for some of these characters, or we were looking to find out what their future was going to be. I think they addressed that really well. They brought in the new characters really well. I have to say Wyatt Russell was fantastic in this series. And of course, I, I think that Anthony Mackie, was fantastic as well. Sebastian Stan does a wonderful job. There were so many good individual performances in this. And again, I really think that this not only stood alone as a good story, but also set the stage for some possible 
things to come as well. So a very, very impactful, important, and very well-structured first season of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think you were really going to dig this finale. You're not going to walk away disappointed. Make sure you stick around, though. There is an end credit scene in this. So do not stop at the after that final scene. Make sure you're watching the credits. That credit scene is going to matter, I promise you, on that. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast, once again, brought to you in part by Realm, creating original fiction podcasts, including official continuations of very popular franchises. But I want to talk about an original series that they have that just came out this week called Memory Lane. It's actually from the writer of Pretty Little Liars, who is Sarah Shepard. Now, basically... It's a story of Alex Bryan, who's looking for answers from her mother, Cassie. So they actually decide, you know, let's participate in this implanted memories thing and help their estranged relationship. And maybe Alex will be able to find out who her father is. And that's kind of where things start to go. Think Black Mirror, think Inception, something in that vein. But rather than me tell you, why don't you go ahead and check out the trailer right now for Memory Lane from Realm. For years, I've been trying to get my mom to talk about her past. This study might reveal things I've always wanted to know. About her, about my dad, about me. The hope is that you and your mother have similar enough brains for the memories to transfer smoothly. As Cassie might have mentioned, she selected a series of memories from when she was pregnant with you that she wants to pass on. I want answers about my mother's past, yes. But I can't help worrying that I won't like what I find. After all, it's not like I don't have ghosts of my own. A memory. Please. Maybe this is what she's been running from all this time. The terrible thing that happened to her. Someone tried to kill her. One way or another, I'm getting answers. Even if I have to break my brain to do it. Realm presents Memory Lane. Starring Emily Wuzeller, Leanne Marie Dobbs, and Elliot Schiff. If you like what you hear, please follow and share this podcast with your friends. Realm is your portal to another world. Listen away. As you just heard, they actually have a full voice cast available for this one. If you want to dive into something that's going to be really mind-melding, make sure you're checking out Memory Lane from Realm wherever you get your podcasts. That'll also do it for my spoiler-free review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 1 finale. Up next, we'll stay spoiler-free and talk about Season 1 of Shadow and Bone from Netflix that just dropped today. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's Larissa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to enter the fold and bring the light. How about a spoiler-free review of the first season of Shadow and Bone from Netflix. This, of course, is the adaptation to the very popular book series from Lee Bardugo. And I will tell you a little bit of stuff from the plot, but not anything that's really going to spoil anything. As I talk about this in the review, of course, this is talking about the war-torn world of Ravka and basically a, an orphan that is Alina Starkov, who, of course, is played by Jesse Maylee, who is supposed to save everyone, right? She's going to save the kingdom. She's going to save the world by what she, what it turns out that she could do. And that's not a spoiler, by the way, because guess what? That's in the trailer. You know that she can do stuff. You know that she can summon this, this light. That's not a secret, okay? But 
here is the secret to this whole story. You see the trailer, and you see that there are definitely member, many members of this cast. And I will say this, that there are actually a few different stories going on here at the same time that eventually do converge, by the way, because that's something that you'd expect in any series, right? But here's the thing. With such an ensemble cast and these different stories going on, anytime you have a, a, a show like this branch off to a different part of the story, you, sometimes you feel like, okay, well, I wish they hadn't done that. I really want to stick with this. I really, really wish everything was contained. Well, guess what? Every story that they kind of branch off to is interesting in its own way. And you, and, but the same at the same time, you can see this whole time how these things will eventually come together. You've actually got one story that involves a, a one group with with Kaz and you've also got an edge and you've also got Jasper and that they are a fun group. They're like the heist group. They're the they're the they're the planning group. They've got all these different missions that they go on and there's a means to an end for that. And by the way, Inej's story just just keeps on just revealing itself throughout this first season. I really really love what Amitra Suman does with this character. It's absolutely incredible. And I got to tell you, Freddie Carter's Kaz is, that is an infectious personality, dude. I could tell you that right now. I really, really enjoyed that dynamic. And Jasper, too, was just fun. Kate Young did such a great job with that role. And I'm not even talking about the main, main characters yet. Because when you're dealing with Alina, and you understand how she gets drawn in by this, too, right? That's That's the thing that you see how she could reach the point that she reaches in this first season. And then what ends up happening, one of the big spoilers of the first season, there there's a big reveal towards the middle of the season. And then she's got to make a whole different set of decisions. So it's, it's just very, very interesting how she keeps getting pushed and pulled. And then of course you've got her relationship with general Kerrigan, who's played by Ben Barnes and also Mal, who she grew up with as an orphan as a child, and you know, there's definitely a romantic romantic aspect to the series here. I mean, it is a young adult series; you can understand that. So, yeah, there is a little bit of a I don't necessarily want to call it a love triangle, but there's there's definitely some romantic undertones going on here, and it certainly complicates the story, but not in a way that if that's something that steers you away from young adult series, and I understand if that's the case, that is not a huge focus of this show, to be honest. It's there, and it definitely plays a factor, obviously, because of the interpersonal relationships and how it affects them, but at the same time, it is not the main crux of the story because really what this is is it's a very rich fantasy world. It's an interesting story that doesn't get bogged down by its parts. Basically, it doesn't focus on... It doesn't focus as much on... The some of the parts as it does the parts. There's that big story is always there, the main story, but at the same time, you've also got these different aspects of the story that are interesting on their own. And then when they come together, you're like, okay, cool. But at the same time, I still feel like they could have survived on their own as well. And you've got all these amazing secondary characters too, like Brag Braghar Braghar, who's plays a very interesting role in this first season. She's kind of the one that, that trains of the Grisha that come to the castle. And then you've got this, you've also got the, you know, the rich people that don't really know what's going on. And they just think, oh, everything's going to be fine. We've got our sun summoner now. And this world, everything is just going to be fine. We trust everybody. We just have no idea 
what's going on. And then, of course, you've got this also you've also got these people who just don't trust the Grisha at all. And you'd expect that. Right. You're always going to have this certain subsection of any population that just doesn't trust the people with abilities. Right. So then there's that. There's also mythical creatures involved here and how they play a role in this whole thing. And you're thinking, man, this is a lot. There's a lot going on in this show. But at the same time, when you're watching it, the individual performances are so good and the story is so well told. You don't even think about all of the different things that are going on. You're just really taken in by this world and these characters and this story. And it makes sense. There's a lot of action here. There's a lot of great interpersonal relationships here. There's a lot of fun to be had as well. And it seems like every character's role is clearly defined and every character's role matters for what it is set out to do. There's also societal societal impacts. You've got a war going on here. There's also going to be a little bit of politics involved. So it really does have something for everybody. So I got to tell you, I was really surprised at how good Shadow and Bone really was. I was expecting to like it, and I was really surprised at how good it was and how well it was constructed. Probably not since the Hunger Games that they really put together a really good young adult story that just does such a good job at managing its characters, managing each little part of its story, and putting it together in a way that really, really makes an impact. And I'm just talking about the first season, too, by the way. I am sure th- I am almost positive that this is one of those stories we're going to get multiple seasons from. That is just how good Shadow and Bone is, and it's got something for everybody. So don't shy away from this because you see it's a young adult series. This has definitely got something for everybody. I really, really do think that you'll enjoy it. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Shadow and Bone from Netflix. Up next, how about we go to the comics world? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Justin Jordan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether your collection is filled with bags and boards or digital copies, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And going back to the Marvel Universe again this week for the Mighty Valkyries Number one, and Jason Aaron and Torn Gonbeck are doing the writing on this one. Gonbeck actually doing some of the art for one of the stories as well, along with Matea de Ilius. We also have Marcio Menez on the colors and VCs Joe Sabino on the letters. This story is actually broken up into two parts. The first one written by Aaron, the second written by Gronbeck. The first actually deals with Jane Foster and... The other deals with her as yet to be identified ally, if you've been reading what's been going on with the Valkyries here in the last several issues. Now, in Jane's story, there she learns maybe minor spoilers for this too, by the way. She learns of a possible beast on the loose in New York and quickly finds out that said beast has a very familiar target. You probably won't be too surprised by that, and that's not a criticism either, by the way. Now, who or what this beast is is actually revealed pretty quickly, but the why is not what is revealed here. And there's actually a a very interesting turn of events when this whole battle is going on. Now, there's also something going on in Hell where the beast escaped from. There's a little bit of a tease for you. There's also a whole different responsibility for Queen Carnilla in this, and and she's trying to keep this from her wife, Hela, and that says a lot about the future of the Thor books as to exactly what this secret is that I'm not going to reveal to you right now. Now, in another galaxy, by the way, 
let's go to the other story. You have the no-name Valkyrie. Let's just call her that for now. And on a mission of her own to, yeah, guess what? Find answers. And she's gone to a dying world to do that. It's This world, too, by the way, full of commercialism. It's really a, a major portion of haves and have-nots here. And you never knew how important and how really just controversial asking a question of an oracle can be until you get a huge reaction and guards freak out. And that's what happens in this particular case. Now, does she get the answers that she seeks? Yeah, she does. And guess what? There's a tease at the end of this story that's really going to push this particular part of the story forward and make it really, really interesting. It's one of those I have to get the next issue kind of moments on this. I will say that both stories were very easy reads. Both have their own set of intrigue for different reasons. The the second of which has the most sizzle, I think, but the most and the most fun too. But Jane's story also has that familiar feel with the star power that you expect from the Thor books too. The duality though really gives you a lot to look forward to in future issues and the art in both is just outstanding. So make sure you pick it up the Mighty Valkyries number one from Marvel. Put it in your pull box too so you can make sure you get the upcoming issues. How about we head to Boom Studios now and the many deaths of Lila Starr which is from Ram V doing the writing on this one. Philippe Andrade on the illustrations. Enos Amaro on the colors there and in world design on the letters. This is a very interesting premise actually because it sounds weird to say that it's a bad day for death but death just got fired. That's the biggest spoiler that I can give you for this book. Now, losing your job you've had for literally an eternity is surprising, but but so is hearing that a child will be born that, again, here's another little bit of a spoiler, a child's going to be born that will bring eternal life. And that's why death has lost her job. So what do you do now? Well, how about being forced to be mortal? How about that? Is that necessarily a punishment? I guess that's for you to decide as the reader. So... She makes one last deal on her way down, though, that might actually help her get her job back. The question is, is can she go through with it? Oh, by the way, did I mention this is all going on in the busy city of Mumbai? Yeah, nothing like having one of the biggest cities in the world be your backdrop for this story, right? Now, as you could tell from the title, though, this kind of didn't last long for death. And here's the the thing, though. If given given a chance to do it all again... Does death make a different choice? That's one of the very intriguing things about this story, and I think that's one of the things we're going to find out. Very unique premise here, by the way, as the story unfolds. I kind of really only scratched the surface of what you see in this first issue, and it could very well be an interesting commentary, too, by the way, on the subject of immortality, because this book definitely touches on that in the very beginning, and the fragility of life, too, by the way. If I mean, if I'm really going to dig deep here, I think that it kind of works on both themes at the same time in an interesting way. Hey, there's even a friendly ghost to add a bit of charm to the book as well. Seriously, I think think you'll enjoy that. The art's good, but it's really, though, the colors, I think, that makes this book really sing and stand out, set the mood. I think the Enes Amaro does a fantastic job of just bringing the life into this book in a very, very unique way. I'm I'm interested to see where where this one's going to go. I think Ram V's got something going here. The Many Deaths of Lila Starr from Boom Studios. I'm looking forward to seeing what's ahead in issue two. That's going to do for what we're reading. Up next, we'll tackle the nerd news of the past week. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could we actually have a con season this year? It's time for nerd news, and it looks like we just might, because Repop has announced that New York Comic Con will be an in-person event this year. They're like to have Florida Supercon before that, but it will be in-person New York Comic Con from October the 7th through the 10th. That's actually going to be followed by Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle and, of course, C2E2 in Chicago, both happening in December. Now, they made it very clear in their statement that this is still subject to, subject to change based on state, local guidelines, and typical safety measures going to be in place, including reduced capacity. Now, I will say this. these, Of course, this is happening in October. Here we sit in April. That is six months from now, and I'm not going to get into the whole you know, how many vaccines are going to be given and how long people are going to be back. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff. And we can't get into, you know, whether or not there's going to be waves of, of, you know, new waves and variants and all these things. All we can look at is the information we're given. And you have to ask yourself, this is an individual question, I think. Are you ready to go back to a convention? Because I think the fans that I've talked to are ready. They're ready to go. They're ready to at least give it a shot at trying to go back to a convention. You might not be able to hug anybody, give them a high five. You might have to keep your distance in the lines that you would typically stand in. Maybe the lines won't be as bad because there's going to be reduced capacity. Who knows? The only way we can know for sure what an event is going to look like at reduced capacity is if you go and give it a shot. Now, here's the reason that I think this will actually be different from what San Diego Comic-Con or Comic-Con International folks are going to try to do on Thanksgiving weekend for their SDC, SDCC light. Let's just call it that. It's, it's not going to be Comic-Con. It's going to be Comic-Con light for them in November. This is going to be New York Comic-Con, period. And this is going to be happening in October. Now, they could still suffer the same pitfalls, right? Are they going to be able to get studios and big companies to go along with this? In October, is it going to be a worthwhile thing for them? This is going to be a full-on New York Comic Con event, but will they be able to put on the big event that fans will expect at that point in October? Maybe, maybe not. Is is Do we have a better shot in December of that with C2E2 or ECCC? Maybe. That might be a little bit more of a... But, but again, there's a giant question mark attached to all of this, but because Repop is going to try and put on these events business as usual, but just reduce capacity, and they're not just trying to cram something in like the like Comic-Con International is doing, this might have a chance at working. And I'm very curious to see who will be that first big name that's attached. And by big name, I mean like Marvel, Warner Brothers, something like that. Who's going to be the first big studio that says, yes, not only are we going... We're bringing talent because fans are going to want that. Fans want to see their favorite stars. They want to see their favorite comic book creators and things like that. That is one of the reasons you go to cons. Sure, it's cosplay and there's plenty of other reasons to go to cons to support support vendors. I get that. But big cons like this are for big stars. And I'm just curious to see what big stars are actually going to feel comfortable attending a convention right now. So I think that that is something that definitely has to be looked at and considered. 
How about a little quick trailer talk? A couple of Marvel tra- Marvel trailers that came out this week. We'll start with Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which we're going to be able to see in theaters on September the third. I got to say, this is just a small sneak peek of what we're going to see action wise in this movie. And we've already been t- promised by Kevin Feige and and some others that this is going to be the most action packed as far as action goes Marvel movie. To date, And I think by action, I think they mean like fight scenes and things like that. I still think Daredevil is at the top of that list. And I'm including movies in that as far as just, you know, bare knuckle fight scenes and and things like that. I think that is that's the bar for me. But it looks like Shang-Chi is going to be able to hit that bar. And did we actually see Razor Fist in this trailer? Because I think that we did. And I'm super, super excited about that, but you you get to see that you know he's supposed to you know go stand at his master's side and fulfill his destiny. And you know there's no destiny fulfilling here. He wants to continue to live his life the way he wants to live it. And apparently that is a huge problem. And that is going to be having bad guys coming at him one right after the other until this is solved. And then of course we don't get to get in a whole lot to the mystery of the Ten Rings in this trailer so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds not just in the movie but in the trailers that are upcoming but uh Simu Liu looks amazing in the part and, and there's a there's actually a lightheartedness to this movie as well it looks like there's going to be you know some typical Marvel humor in there as well so hey September the 3rd I think it's going to be really interesting and they've got the reshoots apparently coming up in LA here pretty soon to, to add a little bit more to it so I, maybe that'll delay it maybe we won't have to keep an eye on this release date but i'm really looking forward to seeing what shang chi and the legend of the ten rings has to offer but you want to talk about humor how about hulu's marvel's modok which is going to be coming out on may the 21st it's kind of a stop motion type of show actually so it's not necessarily anim- an animated series it's a stop motion series it looks really really cool of course Patton oswald is the voice of modok and Yes, the evil Modoc actually has a family, and that is where he goes when he's not, you know, doing his evil deeds. And here's the deal. His family's in disarray because, as you see in the trailer, his wife wants a divorce, getting a divorce, and there's kids involved here. So Modoc is not just fighting against the powers of good, but he's fighting for his family. And by the way, Wonder Man is the one that is now with his wife, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, I mean, you want to talk about a reason to be angry with the good guys, right? I think that that's a good enough reason to be angry. We could see a little bit of Iron Man in this trailer as well. There are definitely some funny moments in this thing. And we actually, do we get to see a little sneak peek of like a Modox bachelor pad type of situation? I think it looks like it's going to be really, really funny. It's going to be something that's very, very different from Marvel for sure. We don't really get a whole lot of adult animation from Marvel. The only thing that's super adult from Marvel has been Deadpool so far. And I don't think this this reaches the Deadpool bar. But, hey, man, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just going to be silly. And I am all about that. So you just got to kick back and not take yourself too seriously sometimes. And that's what I think Marvel's MODOK is going to do, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to offer on May the 21st on Hulu. So Amelia Clark made some headlines this week, didn't she? Let's start with, again, the Marvel world and the fact that the reports from, I think it was Variety, yes, that actually said that she's going to be joining 
Marvel's Secret Invasion series on Disney+. Plus. Of course, she'll be joining Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn. We're going to reprise their roles from Captain Marvel. There's aliens on the Earth, apparently, and they're here to uncover it. Now, who is she, who she's going to play is still... First of all, Marvel still had no comment on this as of me recording this podcast, and quite frankly, neither has Amelia Clark's people, so they haven't really confirmed anything yet, but you wonder who she's going to play, and i got to be honest, because you've got scrolls involved here. You, I wonder if she's going to be playing Spider-Woman. Is she going to play Jessica Drew? Because that would be a pretty big get for Marvel, actually, and it would tell you all you needed to know about how they feel about the character of Spider-Woman if they were to cast Amelia Clark. In this role, because I don't think you go get Amelia Clark for just a small role, right? I think you get her with future in mind. You know, everybody loves the Mother of Dragons, right? Everybody loves her. She was also in Solo, a Star Wars story, too. You probably remember that. So she's already worked with Disney anyway. I just don't think you get her for a small role. I think that they're, they've got much bigger plans for her down the road. And w- what a great way to introduce the character, of Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, then in this Marvel Secret Invasion series, and then you could spin something off from that. I think that this is a good call. I really hope that that's where they're going. Even if they're not, I mean, I definitely could see that she could play a ton of different roles in the Marvel Universe. And even if this is a one-off, I'm grateful. I'm just glad to see her finally jumping in to the comic book world. And she's really going to be doing that here on her own, actually, because she is going to be writing, Amelia Clark is, a comic book series for Image Comics. I guess you figured, hey, if Keanu can do it, then I'm going to do it too. And she is going to be writing a a comic called M.O.M. Mother of Madness from Image Comics. It's going to be a supersized three issues. Marguerite Bennett is actually going to write this with her. Couldn't be more excited for Marguerite. Wonderful writer that not enough people know about. Certainly a wonderful opportunity, I think, for her, Layla Light's is going to be doing the art here. It's going to be covers from Jen Bartel and Joe Ratcliffe, so that should be a lot of fun. And all we really know about this comic book series is that the mayhem begins with Maya, under-the-weather scientist by day, an over-the-top superhero by night, and badass single mom 24-7. So, I mean, it sounds like something that's certainly right up Amelia Clark's alley. You probably saw her video on Instagram. She's super excited about this. And, and that's what I love, is that it's not just a, hey, celebrity name attached to a comic. This is clearly a story that she really wants to tell and that she's really, really excited about. I love seeing that enthusiasm for the comic book world from somebody like Amelia Clark. So, and clearly she's a fan. So we're going to have to wait until July 21st of this year to find out what that book's actually going to be about because that's when the first issue drops. But, of course, I'll have more info on that for you when I get a chance to look at the first issue, and, of course, as that release date gets closer. Speaking of comics, DC had some big news that came out this week as well. As far as Superman's concerned, this is also going to be for July. The ongoing Superman series is going to be replaced. I'm not kidding. This is actually something that DC has announced. DC is going to be replacing the Superman ongoing title with Superman Son of Kal-El. Yes, Jonathan Kent is going to be protecting the world now. Jonathan Kent is going to take over the mantle of Superman from his dad beginning on July the 13th. And Tom Taylor, by the way, going to be writing this with art from John Tim. So not too shabby there. And if Tom Taylor, I've said this before, if Tom Taylor's attached, 
I'm interested because he just has a way of bringing these unique and cool angles to these stories. And we've already seen Jonathan Kent getting his fair share of adventures, whether it be with Damien or or somewhere else. He's been a hero plenty. Now he's all grown up, is going to be taking the cape from his dad and kind of carrying on the family legacy. And I'm sure that will be part of what the story is going to be about. But that's not where it ends, because remember, you got Tom King writing Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, in that same month. So that's going to be a Supergirl limited series. You've got Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's going to be taking Action Comics over on issue 1033. And that will be a Clark Kent story, by the way. So it's not like you can't get your Clark Kent fix in this same month. And then you've got Grant Morrison taking on Superman and the Authority. And that's going to be about freeing prisoners from War World and other things like that. And again, a Clark Kent story. So it's not like you're completely replacing Clark Kent and just forgetting the ex- that he exists. There's going to be other Superman stories. And of course, you've got a Supergirl story mixed in here as well. So I, I think that Superman is a title that needed to be shaken up anyway. This was something that really, really needed a little bit of something different coming to it. So I'm really glad that DC is doing this, actually. I know that there's some hesitation with replacing a long-standing legacy title, I get that. It's I don't think it's going to go away forever. Obviously, they'll bring back a Superman number one at some point. But I think that Jonathan Kent is a character that's built up enough popularity and built up enough credibility to be able to take this mantle. Plus, he's taking this mantle from his father. He's carrying on the family legacy. It's not like you're bringing in some random character to be Superman. This is part of his family legacy. How could you not be okay with this? Clark Kent can't be Superman forever. Maybe he doesn't want to be Superman forever. Maybe we'll find out what those circumstances are here coming up in him maybe not being Superman anymore. So I'm interested to see where this is going. I think good for DC for taking this chance. And with Tom Taylor, I think that that is really, really smart. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Ella Smith for joining me this week to talk about The Nevers, and make sure you're watching every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on HBO and HBO Max. Also, make sure you're checking out Realm's new series, Memory Lane, wherever you get your podcasts. Sounds like that's going to be an amazing one as well. Find out more from us, though, definitely, downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow along on social media, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Big announcement coming. In the next week or so, can't wait to share with you about something that's going to be expanding here from the Down and Nerdy podcast. But remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.